Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Leslie and I are pretty big fans in the office. Um, and we spent way too much time on it. I think we're in our third time through the entire series. Uh, it's one of those shows where, you know, when you're spent at night and you're, you're not quite ready for bed, but you don't feel like some heavy documentary or something, like The Office is just that healing uh, ointment that you can put on like, oh, the world is right. That's kind of, somebody's not a fan of the word ointment. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is cream better, <laughs> Megan? Balm? Um, we'll put that on and watch it and just laugh. So it was so much fun for me. I was gone when Riley preached uh, a few weeks back. But when he had Dwight Schrute in his opening uh, introduction talking about the dream that Riley had and he's standing over here on the ramp and Dwight Schrute uh, in the flesh is up on the center of the stage leading worship with kitchen utensils. (laughs) That uh, thought, well, you know Dwight. I mean, that's a, that's a connection. That's something he would do clearly. But it was just fun for me to listen to it and then to listen to like what God was saying to Riley in the process about how we enter into worship. And we do it sometimes without regard to what other people think about what we're doing. And so Leslie and I were watching The Office this past week, and we saw a scene where Dwight was worshiping. That's the story we told ourselves. So I found a GIF. Uh, GIFs are these small little moving images, right? If we could turn the lights out, we're gonna, I'm going to try to show you what it would look like if Dwight Schrute was leading worship at Damascus Road here, right? Dwight gets a promotion in the episode. But now, imagine him with kitchen utensils flipping around like little nunchuck spatulas. Can you see it? Man, he is, he's leading the way into worship. No, let's put that off. Let's, let's get rid of that. <laughs> I love it. So Psalm 100 this morning is all about worship. Riley preached on worship. Uh, Dwight uh, added to the message. And it's just about going to God and uh, not worrying what other people think. Going to God and sometimes being even what King David would call undignified. Like, I'm going to give God everything that I have. And if people have a problem with it, this is between me and God right now. And we want to grow in our freedom in how we worship God. And so I'll just say from the front, like, I want you to feel free in worship. If, and, and I don't want you to feel pushed or, like, pressured in worship either, right? I want you to be able to deal with God, to be able to give God your best out of the overflow of your heart. And if that means getting up and dancing, I want you to be free to dance. If that means you're having a private conversation that nobody else can understand, but it's you and God in the moment, I want you to feel free to do that. If that means you are going to plant your rear on your seat and put your head down because God is pressing something down into you, I want you to be free to do that. What I want to create is an atmosphere where we are passionately spiritual. We are passionate about our relationship with God. And so passion can show up in a number of different forms, right? Passion shows up in song, and passion shows up in dance, and passion shows up in stillness, right? But it's about engaging. And I want you to feel free to engage on Sunday mornings. I'm going to read Psalm 100, and 
then walk through the rhythm of this psalm as it leads us into the presence of God and leads us into worship and gratitude and thanksgiving and leads us straight to God. All right, so let's read together and then uh, ask God to just, uh, again, be in this time and make us aware of what he's doing and saying. Psalm 100, in the English Standard Version, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. God, thank you. I love this psalm. I love how it communicates your heart, how it communicates your character, and how it communicates uh, a right response that when we come face to face with you, worship is a natural outpouring. And I pray that you'd teach us. I pray that you'd grow us. I pray that you'd uh, enlighten us, expand our hearts and our minds for what for who you are and what you have for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, there's a rhythm in this psalm. There is a call to action that starts out the psalm. And then the call to action leads to it because of who God is. There's a call to action because of who God is. And then there's a second call to action, and it goes back to who God is, right? And so there's this rhythm of dancing with God, getting to know him, and what happens as a result of that. So the first call to action shows up in verses 1 and 2. And I, I think, as I look at Psalm 100, um, sometimes we think um, things move in priority of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, right? So there's five verses in Psalms. The first one would be the most important. Poetry doesn't always move that way. Psalm 100 is a poem, and I think Psalm 100 is climbing the mountain up to the pinnacle, the summit in verse 3, and then coming down the other side, right? And there, there are some foothills along the way, like you feel the rise, and then you're coming down, and then the pinnacle in verse 3, and you're coming down, and it rises again in verse 5. But I think, I think verse 3, just so you know, is what everything is built around and what everything hinges on in Psalm 100. The first call to action in verses 1 and 2. It's a three-part call to action as I read it. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So the first part of the call says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. What do you think that noise was intended to sound like? Actually, in your head right now, I want to see if you can identify, capture, what a joyful noise sounds like. And in five seconds, I'd like you to let out what you think a joyful noise is meant to sound like. Ready? Whatever you got in your head, let it out. Yeah, that's pretty good. That sounded full of joy to me, right? I don't think it's meant to be restrictive. I think it's meant to be like exuberant, right? Whatever, whatever is causing you delight, like you let that out, you turn that into voice and it comes out of you. It just comes out. 
So make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, <laughs> something that's really cool about reading the Bible in different translations, we are blessed beyond what we even know um, here in the West, in the English language, and all the scholars that we have going into translations. So we don't just have the Bible in our language. We have the Bible in our language in like 20 different translations. And each one is trying to get at the original words and the original message in just a tweak different little way. So the English Standard Version, which we kind of read by default, is meant to be sort of uh, a word-for-word -word translation. But it, it also tries to help the thing flow along. Because just word-for-word -word translation from an ancient foreign language can be real choppy, right? So the English Standard Version tries to help it flow. There are other uh, translations that are like, all right, that's even still a little bit choppy for what we're going after. We want to get the heart of the message. So the New Living Translation is another good one that uh, is less word-for-word -word literal, and it's more dynamic. It's more like, let me capture the idea and then put it out there. Eugene Peterson's like commentary on the Bible called The Message is way over here. It's not even technically a translation. He's just trying to get at the heart and like convey what he feels is the heart of God's message. And I love the message. And I love how when you read it, you can, um, sometimes it jolts you into seeing something a little bit different than you've missed a thousand times before reading it, right? So English Standard Version reads, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. If you go a little bit this way to the stricter translation, like the New American Standard has a tweak different translation. The New American Standard actually says, shout joyfully to the Lord. Right? So make a joyful noise to the Lord. In, uh, New American Standard says, shout joyfully to the Lord. The New Living, which is actually over here on the more dynamic side, actually agrees then with the New American Standard. It says, shout with joy to the Lord. So we have this make a joyful noise, and other translations are saying what the original message is really getting at is this idea of shouting, kind of like what you guys just did, right? It's a loud, it's boisterous, it's going to get out there. Shout with joy to the Lord. I can remember a youth conference that I went to as a youth leader way back in 2003. A guy named... David Crowder was leading worship, and it was kind of the, the biggest um, worship connection I had ever made. And I remember standing to one of my uh, senior guys, um, and the two of us, I think, were worshiping like we had never engaged before. And I was singing out. There's a reason I don't lead worship, right? But in the, in the moment, I was just like, I'm undignified. I'm going to shout these lyrics out. And the guy next to me caught what I was doing, and he started shouting out the song. And it was like, I didn't care what anybody else is thinking. And a little while later into like one of the songs, one of the other leaders who was with us on the trip just kind of looked back, like, just checking in. You guys OK? What's... <laughs> and then he smiled like, man, I don't know that I've ever heard two guys go at it like you are in worship. That was a moment of, I think, quite literally, Shouting joyfully with God, making a joyful noise. It might not have been a pleasant noise, but that's not the instruction. Make a pleasant noise to God, right? Make a joyful noise. Shout with joy. I love what Riley said a few weeks ago, that there's a place to be boisterous in worship. 
There's a, po a place to yell and a place to be exuberant. And there's, uh, I, I also think that there's a place to be quiet, right? So put your head down and just shut up and let God speak. Let God have the space. But then there's also a place to just let it out. There's a call to express our joy in this psalm. And not just us. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. So like all of creation sings. All of creation made by God naturally worships, naturally points to its creator. Humans, I think, are the only ones that struggle with that in the created order. That all the rest of the created order automatically, by its nature, directs everything back to God. And we have this tendency to take it in on ourselves and want the glory for ourselves. And the instruction here is make a joyful noise to the Lord. Join with all the rest of creation. I love that line in the song that we sang last week, and we'll sing it uh, more again. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. Right? Rocks don't have a mouth. They don't have a voice. You can't hear them, but they are crying out. They are making their own joyful noise to the Lord, and I will meet them in that place of worship. Right? Shout. Joyfully is the first part of the call. The second part, serve the Lord with gladness. How we sing and now how we live. Because worship isn't just about singing. Worship isn't just about like a Sunday morning gathering. Worship extends into all of life. It says serve the Lord with gladness. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 25 that serving him often takes the form of serving others serving real life people. And we get confused by that. We think there's a uh, kind of a compartment in our life to serve God, and then there's a compartment in our life where that's where people get in the way of that. And Jesus shows up in a very direct way in Matthew 25, and he says, when you do that for them, you do it for me. And so as we serve the Lord with gladness, I think there's a vertical and a horizontal element to that. So we serve. Again, if you look in different translations, this word serve also gets tweaked. Some translations, like we're reading here, say serve. Other translations say worship. And I love that because they're not disagreeing with each other. They're expanding the understanding of what is being said. To worship, to serve are the same thing, right? As we serve one another, as we serve those outside of our community, as we reach out we do it with a heart posture that says, I'm serving the king. I'm serving my father, who is the king. And I get to reach out. This is part of my worship. I'll do it in song, and I'll do it in interacting with others and caring for and loving others all the time. It's like the great commandment. Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you've got. And the second, which doesn't stand apart, stands right next to it, right with it, is to love others to love God and love others, to worship God, to serve others, right? Interesting here, too, because uh, that those two ideas, I think, build on each other. So the call, first part, shout joyfully. Second part, serve gladly. Third part, come into his presence with singing. And I love this. I just love this. The command is come. Come. It's an invitation to be with God, to acknowledge his presence, 
and to respond to it. And I think it's an invitation to joy. That's, that's the heart of the psalm already, right? Shout joyfully. Make a joyful noise. Come into his presence with singing. You're not singing a dirge, right? You're not singing a, like a depressing song as you could. Like, that doesn't seem to fit the psalm, right? Although there's a time for sorrow and a time for grief. That's not what this is getting at. So a couple weeks ago, I was away at dad camp. Like the last two summers, I got to take our oldest, Elena, to dad camp, and this year was Lucy's year. This year, uh, Lucy is my middle child, fiery redhead, firecracker of a girl, and I knew that the experience was going to be different than what I had the two previous summers with Elena. And when we got there, I started seeing different places in camp where Elena and I had connected, and I had this touch of sadness of like, oh, I treasured those moments and those that's what was. And I think it was in the first night when we gathered together all the dads, 60 dads and 60 daughters, in camp that night in the chapel. I felt like God was convicting me. And here's how it worked, right? I think when the Holy Spirit shows up, part of his job is conviction, and then it's coupled with freedom. And that's how it happened with me. So I felt like God said very directly to me, you tend to live life sad. You tend to live life with a relationship with sadness, like it's gravity, like it pulls you. And you have moments of joy, but gravity is always kind of pulling on you, and sadness is in your life that way. And I had this, oh, yeah. I don't even know that I could have put words to it like that. But I bet people who know me would agree with that. And the very next statement that I felt like I heard God say was, and it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. Now, I, I reject the idea that we walk around with a permagrin on our face, right? It's all joy. It's all happy. And you get one inch deep into that, and it's just a fake facade, right? We are, we are human and with God-given emotions that don't have a brain, right? Our emotions are crazy, and they come and they go, and I think there's some beauty in all of that, and there are times for sadness, and I don't, I don't want to reject that. There are times for grief, but grief and sadness as a way of life are not what God has, and I felt like he was working in me in the moment almost like that, and then reconfirmed it in the quiet the next morning with me. It doesn't have to be that way. And what I felt was an invitation. And when Psalm 100 says, come, that's what I felt like God was saying. Come. Come to joy. Live in my joy. You'll experience all kinds of things, but live. Make your home in my joy and in my delight. And it was healing. Now, I... I like being reflective. I think there's joy to be found in sober-mindedness. Leslie will sometimes come through the house, and I've got all the lights low, and I'm listening to, like, solo piano. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm peace. This is peace. And she's like, this feels sad. <laughs> i got to check that. Because I think it doesn't always, it's not always that. But it could be. Like, that you can listen to Sarah McLaughlin too much. Right? 
<laughs> right? A little, a little bit is too much, maybe. There were times in my life where I just had that on repeat. And it doesn't have to be that way. Right? I felt like God was poking me, and I felt like God was convicting me, and I felt like God was inviting me to joy. And I, man, dad camp was extraordinary with Lucy. She, she helped me see things in a way that I've never seen things before. We got stories of us connecting where I had never done things quite that way. And I think because of Lucy and because of God working in tandem, there was a gift and there was freedom and there was joy all over dad camp for me. I felt his delight. Have you felt that invitation? Come. Come. Don't just come and go through the motions, but come into joy. Come into delight. I'm inviting you. And as you, as you get there, bring it to others. Be someone who comes into the presence of God singing. Like, let it out. You can do that when you have that kind of bubbling up inside you. So that's the first call. Shout joyfully. Serve gladly. Come singing. And then there's the reason for it. And again, uh, verse 3, I think, is the crux of the psalm. It's the summit. It's the pinnacle. It's the zenith of the psalm. The crux says everything rests on who God is. Shout joyfully. Serve gladly. Come singing because of who God is. Because of who God is. And this one shows up again in three parts. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord, he is God. God is God, and I am not. Now, when the Bible uses this term know, it's not just talking about intellectual knowledge that, so you could score well on a test, on a sheet of paper. You can, you can know the right answer and still not know the answer, right? You can know all the kinds of right answers about God and still miss that relational experience with him. They're not meant to be taken um, in exclusivity of one another. They're meant to be coupled, right? I want to grow in my mind and I want to grow in my heart. And that combination is to know God, to experience him. The Bible says, know the Lord. He is God. I think about... Um, this experience that you have with God that changes everything. Like you can know certain facts, but then you experience it and you're like, oh, it just got made real for me. It's been real, it's been true, but now I know it. And I think of uh, 1 Kings 18 with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. If you know the story, Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. His job is to listen to God and to share that with God's people that he could be a spokesman for God, sharing words that God would have for his people. Right? It was a kind of an intermediary position, and he was a pretty lonely dude. Lots of people had turned their back on God, and they were preferring instead to bow down and worship this idol called Baal, which you could call little g God. Right? They were serving him. They were bowing down to him, but he's made of wood. like He's, not, he's made of creation that big God made. Right? And now humans are messing it up, and they're serving things that were made and not the thing that made them, 
not the one who made them. So there's 400 prophets of Baal and one Elijah who are, who's worshiping the true God. And they come to this face-to-face -face conflict where the king is off and he's like, I want my prophets of Baal. They're doing, they're doing the right thing. The king who ought to have been worshiping God and following him. And he said, you guys, I want you to come together and I want you to have a head-to-head -head duel. And here's how we'll do it. Both sides, make your altar, right? We're going to worship. We're going to do our thing in worship. You build your altar, and then we're going to pray to our gods one at a time that they would bring fire and burn up the altar. So, prophets of Baal, 400 of you, go. They build the altar. They start to pray. Nothing happens. They start to pray loudly. Nothing happens. They work themselves up into kind of this... Uh, trance almost. They start cutting their arms so they can bleed on the altar. They think our passion will ignite our God and nothing happens. Elijah gets a little cocky. Elijah's like, oh, maybe you're not loud enough. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. He can't hear you. He's doing some other business, right? He actually says that and nothing happens. They're like, oh, I'm exhausted. I'm going to go sit down and bleed somewhere else. And Elijah's like, is my turn now? I'm going to build my altar. I'm going to use these stones that represent like how God has showed up in our story. I'm going to remember who God is and what he's done in our midst. That's, that's going on the altar. I'm going to build the wood. But now, uh, my God's real. I don't have to contend. I'm just going to show off a little bit. I'm going to dig a trench around my altar. I'm going to pour the whole thing over with water. Just douse it. Just make it wet. I don't want any accidents happening here. And then Elijah stands back and he says, God, your turn. Everything is consumed. Everything is burned up. The whole, the whole altar is just gone. And the fire of God descends. And you know what happened to all the people? They knew God. They experienced God like they had never before. Their call after seeing what happened, after ex experiencing that, was the same one as in Psalm 100. What they said in 1 Kings 18 was, the Lord, the Lord, he is God. Not Baal. The Lord, he is God. And that's what Psalm 100 says. Know that the Lord, he is God. You can worship all kinds of things, and you will miss it. But the Lord... He is God. So know him. Have an experience with him and know him in your head and in your heart and let him come in in ways that he may never have been there before. Not only is God, he's creator. Right? Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. And God made you. He doesn't just sit Loft, like he took great care and detail to put you together, to weave you together, to knit you in your mother's womb. Like stitch by stitch, he knows every detail of who you are. You are his masterpiece, the Bible says. Together, we shine God's glory. We reflect our creator. The Lord, he is God. And he made us. That's mind-numbing to think of, out of nothing. Look at all of us beautiful faces. You look in the mirror, and that is God's masterpiece. 
reflected right back at you. This phrase, he made us and we are his, it's again translated just a little bit different in another English translation. The New American Standard, a bit more rigid in the word for word, reads, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. Right? I would be like, I don't, I don't get what you're saying, but when you compare the translations, like, oh, he made us, I didn't make myself. We stumble on that one. The American dream is that you can start from nothing and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you are a self-made man. This rugged independence that we prize and race after and uh, admonish others to do. Psalm 100 says, none of that. He made you. You didn't make yourself. Everything you have is from God. Put it to work. Steward it well. But you didn't do that. You didn't make that in you. And it's not, I, I don't think it's a harsh word. It can be if you're not willing to receive it. But it's, a, it's an invitational word. I love how the English standard says, and we are his. Like, I'm not just my own. I'm his. And he, he's God. He made me, and he holds me. And I didn't do this just on my own. That's the crux of the whole psalm. The God of the Bible is the one true God. He created us, and he loves us. He loves you deeply. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. God is God, God is our creator, and God is our shepherd. He cares for us, and he guides us. And Jesus embodies this when he calls himself the good shepherd, that he would lay down his life for us so that we could have life abundantly. Shout joyfully. Serve gladly. Come singing because God is true, because God made you, and because God cares for you. And then the second call to action, right? We've been to the pinnacle, and now we're going to respond again. The second call to action in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Come and enter. And when you do, bring your thanksgiving and bring your praise. Now, we thank God for what he has done. That's what thanksgiving is. Something good happens, and we say thank you. Thanksgiving is to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give thanks for what you have done, for how you have shown up, for the many, many times in the Bible that it says, remember, that's about so that we can be filled with gratitude, right? And we give thanks for what God has done. We praise God for who he is. So thanksgiving and praise go together, but they're different. Thanksgiving is about what God has done for us. Praise is about who God is. You don't have to do a thing, God, though you have. You don't have to do a thing, and I will praise you because of who you are. I love hearing stories right here in our community, in Damascus Road, about what God is doing in and through your lives. I love hearing from missionaries that we support and we partner with about what God is doing in and through 
their lives. Like, God is on the move. God is crazy active. Do you know that? He wants to be active in you. And there's an invitation there in you that we come together with thanksgiving and with praise. God is on the move. There is so much to be thankful for. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always good all the time or always light. You know, sometimes life is heavy. There are times when sadness falls on us. And I wholeheartedly believe that we don't have to fake it. Let's be there for one another. And let's be on the lookout together for reasons for thanksgiving and reasons to praise again. So shout joyfully. Serve gladly. Come singing because you know God is true. Because you know he created you. Because you know he cares for you. So thank him for what he's done and praise him for who he is. And now the conclusion in Psalm 100, verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. For he is good. That doesn't mean he's well-skilled, right? When the Bible says God is good, it's getting at his nature. It's getting at his character. And what good here means, to say that God is good, means that God always acts in accordance to what is right, true, and good. He has no evil in him. His intentions and his motivations are always good. He always does what is right. There is nothing unpleasant or evil or dark in God. God's goodness extends from his nature and into everything he does. That's kind of what it's getting at when it says God is good. Right? God is so the old statement like God is great and God is good get at two different components of God. God is great means God is strong. He is powerful. And God is good means he's caring. Means he's generous. Means he looks at you and he wants your best. God has good for you. He has your best in mind. This doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. It does mean that he is always with you. And he is always for you. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Now here's my favorite word in the Bible again. This steadfast love in Hebrew is hesed. And it's translated loving kindness. It's translated mercy. It's this idea of covenant love over and over and over and over without fail. God will go beyond the call of duty to love us and hold us and take care of us. Love that sent Jesus to the cross so that we could really live. It will stop at nothing for our good. God loves you with a love that cannot be shaken, has said. His steadfast love endures forever. It can't be shaken now. It can't be shaken ever. His love is crazy, and it will not end. And then the closing line, his faithfulness to all generations. God is true. He will not fail. He will not turn away. He won't cheat. He won't back out. God keeps his promises always, always. 
So shout joyfully. Serve gladly. Come singing because you know that God is true. He created you and he cares for you. So thank him for what he's done and praise him for who he is because he has your best in mind. He will love you like no other and will remain faithful always. Is that reason to sing? We have a father who loves us and we have a king who rules with love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We praise you for who you are, that you are good, that everything about you and every action, every thought of yours is good, that you extend that goodness to us, that you look at us with delight, that we are dear to you. And even when we make a mess of things, that doesn't wash away how much you love us, how much you delight in us. We invite you to convict us of where we've gone away. And we know that you do that with care in mind. You call us back to you. We want to give you freedom and we want to give you more access to us, things that we have withheld, ways that we have blocked ourselves off from you. We want to give you freedom because we know you're true. We know you're good and we know you love us. Thank you for Psalm 100 and the reminder that when we fix our gaze on you, joy comes out. We thank you for what you've done and we praise you for who you are. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.